Blessed are you, Adonai, God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of your Torah. Please, Adonai, God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of the people of the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Let's turn, if you have the Chumash, we're going to turn to the Megillah of Kohelet, which is going to be found on page uh, 1278. If you have the art school Chumash, Chumash of uh, Kohelet. Let's say the Baraka, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kirishanu B'Mitzah Mikra Megillah. We will be reading today the first chapter, Capitulo 1 of the Libro de Kohelet, for our Sephardic friends out there. Estes los palabras de, I'm sorry, uh, the words of, the words of Kohelet, son of David, king in Yerushalayim. Futility of futilities, says Kohelet. Futility of futilities. All is futile. That's a great way to start off with a great inspiration. <laughs> what profit does man have for all his labor which he toils beneath the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth endures forever. And the sun rises and the sun sets. Then to its place it rushes, there it rises again. It goes towards the south and veers towards the north. The wind goes round and round, and on its rounds the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow once more. All words are wearying, one becomes speechless. The eye is never sated with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Whatever has been is what will be, and whatever has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new beneath the sun. Nothing new. Sometimes there is something of which one says, look, this is new. It has already existed in the day ages before us. As there are no recollections of the former, former ones, so too of the latter ones that are yet to be there, there will be no recollection among those of a still later time. I, Kohelet, was king over Israel and Yerushalayim. I applied my mind to seek and probe my wisdom and all that happens beneath the sky. It is a sorry task that God has given to the sons of man with which to be concerned. I have seen all the deeds done beneath the sun and behold, all is futile and a vexation of the spirit. A twisted thing cannot be made straight, and what is not there cannot be numbered. I said to myself, here I have acquired great wisdom, more than any of my predecessors over Yerushalayim, and my mind has had much experience with wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceive that this too is a vexation of the Spirit. For with, what, with much wisdom comes much grief, and he who increases knowledge 
increases pain. Doesn't seem very uplifting, but actually Ecclesiastes is a very uplifting book. And because it brings us home to those things that matter, it, it puts us in a position to recognize what needs to be first in our life. With this last sentence I just want to touch on for a moment because I've mentioned before what the sages have taught, and that is that the higher one goes in uh, righteousness, the greater their Yetzirah. The analogy is simply this, that the more skilled the fighter, the more skilled the opponent. You don't typically put a heavyweight boxing champion in a ring with somebody who's going to challenge him who is of a lesser stature. It has to be somebody who has the, the actual potential of beating the person in the ring. And so normally it's a very skilled fighter, a very strong fighter, and, and if, the, if it's uh, what it's supposed to be, the person who's the heavyweight champion has a little bit of trepidation because this could be the person that beats him. So it is with the Yetzer Hara. Many people might wonder, why is it that it's found so very often where religious leaders, regardless of the denomination, regardless of religious sect, why is it that religious leaders from a Judeo-Christian, let's just say, uh, atmosphere, why is it they are so often they fall because of sexual immorality? Why is that so often the case? Interestingly, the sages teach us that what the Yetzirah does most against sages, scholars, rabbis, religious leaders of the community, he attacks them the most with sexual impurity. That that is the number one attack against people. And so we, what Solomon is, is saying here is that we all want wisdom, we all want knowledge, but we have to understand that with that comes grief. The higher we go up, the greater the fighter that comes against us. I was told this morning when I, when, um, I, I was at the office this morning and Keturah came in and gave me some good news about our new Sar Shalom Tulsa, which will, I will be there, my wife and family will be there on the 24th for their grand opening. If you're watching, yeah, Baruch Hashem. And if you're in the Tulsa area or around Tulsa, that wonderful city, then you should know that this is happening and there's a Lapid synagogue there and you should be excited about that. Amen. Something else for you to clap, clap about is, the, is another piece of good news I got this morning. The good news is they are under spiritual attack. They've been hounded by some, uh, some trolls online that, you know, attacking them and whatever. And that's good news. Because if they weren't doing anything that was worth anything, nobody would care. The guy that wants to fight the heavyweight boxer wants the belt. If he didn't have the belt, he wouldn't fight him. Nobody wants to fight a loser. If you beat a loser, what does that mean? You're the better loser. Everybody wants to fight the champion. So, Mazaltov. Can I just tell you something? People have fought against this ministry from its inception. There was in noteworthy people 
have, I'm, I, I've been called everything in the book. I talked about it last week. I'm a fake Jew. I'm a liar, a thief. I'm an evil person. I don't even like dogs. <laughs> and I want to tell you the effect that, has, that, 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 that that has had. Nothing. It hasn't stopped one drosh. It hasn't prevented one teaching. It hasn't done anything. You know why? Because Yeshua said wisdom will be proved right by her actions. Yes. And so just know that. Sar Shalom Tulsa, you're out there. Just rejoice. You need to get the coffee cup that I have. That if you don't have haters, you're not making it. I'm serious. Yeshua, did Yeshua have haters? I don't know. Did he? I can't remember. I was trying to remember if that has ever happened before. Did he have, uh, did he, he had them, right? Yeah. What Azariah said this morning was so good that the reason that God is with us in the fire is because he is the fire. Oh my, I wanted to kick him in the back of his head right there. But it wouldn't have been good to pour him up here like that. People would misunderstand it. It was a kick of love. He's not allowed to eat with us in Oneg, by the way. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. But it was so good that he is the fire. And if you want to touch fire, the only way for something that is not fire to be able to touch fire, because like he said, we're supposed to cleave to God, but how do we cleave to God if he's, if, if, if he's fire? The only way to have that happen is to become fire. Which is why the Torah, as Ahmed has said so many times, is called Eshdat, the fiery law. The way that we become like God, like the consuming fire, is that we become fire by becoming Torah observant. Now this goes back to what Moshe did when he went up to the mountain. He, when he went up to the mountain, he wasn't on the mountain. He went into Shemayim. And he went all the way to the seventh heaven. And as he was taking his grand tour of Shemayim, Somebody said he didn't, go into the, he didn't get to go into the Holy Land. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Holy Land, I mean, he was sad about that, but he got, the, he got to go to the, the land. So he's taking a tour of Shemayim, and it comes time for him to go to the highest level. And the angel said to him, you're about to go into the throne room of God where there is this character named Memtet. Now, God is a consuming fire, right? God, check. God is fire. Check, right? God's fiery law. Check, uh, okay? Follow the bouncing ball. I remember those. <laughs> now, here's what they told Moses the problem. They said, this is all in the Midrash. They, they said, Moses, here's the problem. You're going to go into the throne room to see Memtet. Problem is, Memtet is a, is a fire. <laughs> and in order for you to be able to interact with him, you have to become fire. So they turned Moses into a pillar of fire. So that Moses could go into the fire. At least he'd be consumed by the fire. And where were they again? I forgot. God's throne room. Now I want to point something else out that, that Yehoshua ben Abraham assaulted us with when he read the Besorah. And that wasn't fair. I'm not going to forget that. 
It was, this was a drive-by. And some of y'all didn't even realize you were hit. And so this is the deal. He's, Messiah is talking about the temple being destroyed. He sits down on Har HaZetim, the Mount of Olives. The disciples approach him, and they ask this question. I want you to understand the, the magnitude of what they ask him. They said, tell us, please, when will this be, and what is the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? What are you talking about? Yeshua is there now with them. And everybody is running around town saying he can't be the Messiah because he didn't bring world peace. These people that he has, none of them are, are goyim. They're all Jews, and they're all good Jews, and they're all Pharisees, by the way. And one of them's even a levy. One of them's even a levy who worked in the temple and got sidetracked, started working for the, for the man, making, bringing taxes. But he knows what's going on because his mission in life was to teach Torah. So anybody that knows anything about Torah is, I forgot, where was I reading from? Matthew. Matthew's writing this. All these Jews who know what they're talking about, look at the Messiah, who they know is the Messiah, right there standing in front of them, and they said, hey, will you let us know when your coming's going to happen? <laughs> what? See, we, see, Yehoshua just, he, he just sprayed us with a machine gun blast with that and just kept reading. But this tells us that the disciples understood the Jewish principle of Messiah ben Yosef. That this first coming is just a prelude to the coming. So when everybody runs around town and says, well, he, your guy can't be the Messiah, why not? Because he didn't bring world peace. Do you know that there are several sects of Judaism today that have Messiahs they believe in? They're, they're Rebbe's that have passed away, and none of them brought world peace? But, everybody, but nobody says to, to those other sects, Hey, you're not, you're not allowed in the family. Nobody says that to them. You know why? Because they're Torah observant. That's number one reason. But the real reason is this, is because the only one that can't be king is Yosef. See, all the brothers agreed, and the, even the father agreed, the son, I love you but there's no way you're going to be the king of us. I'm not going to bow down to you, and your mother's dead. She sure ain't going to bow down to you. So all the brothers agreed, and, and even Yisrael. I got to say it with the right accent, otherwise I have somebody email me. Everybody agreed, including Yisrael, that Judah's going to be king, some of these other guys may be kings too, but Joseph, ain't no way you're going to be king. And ain't no way we're going to bow down to you. No way. And the only one who was king was Joseph. And so the, the, the one that everybody agrees is not going to be the Mashiach is the one who's going to be the Mashiach. As I said in the Oneg, 
hall last week, it doesn't make any sense if we get up and say as Jews, and we do, we have no idea who the Mashiach is going to be, and when he shows up, we're all going to be surprised. It doesn't make any sense to believe that and believe all Jews believe that. It doesn't make any sense to say that and then turn around and say, we have no, listen to this, let me try to break it down. We have no idea really who the Mashiach's going to be, and when he shows up, we're going to be completely and utterly shocked at who it actually is. But what we know for sure is Yeshua is not the guy. <laughs> now, you, all of you, and especially you who are watching, are extremely intelligent people. And what I just did doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But that's what's said on a daily basis. You can't, you can't believe that you're wrong, but believe you're right on something at the same time. Yeah, y'all are like, yeah. Yeah, that's great, man. And see, I, I don't have to go to college for that. I, see, I, I saved myself $100,000 just being able to use my brain. Yeah. By the way, I have nothing against college. But let's just all keep things in perspective. When you go to school, you're learning from men, right? Okay. Just saying. Kohelet. We read this Kohelet. Who is the Kohelet? Kohelet is a word that means literally at its root, assembly. It means preacher. It's a word that means preacher. In this case, it is the, it is the title of Shlomo Hamelech, Solomon the king. And in this instance, he's called the preacher because it was, they, they say it was Solomon's custom to bring everybody together once a year during Sukkot and preach to them a sermon. And this is, he, Solomon wrote three books. He wrote Shir Hashirim, Mishle, the Song of Songs and Proverbs. There is disagreement as to which one of those he wrote first. Some say he wrote Shir Hashirim first. But everybody agrees that the final work that he wrote, the final book that he wrote was Kohelet. That this, we're going to read in just a second, is a king, a man who had great wisdom. Nobody has had wisdom like Solomon ever. You say, well, what about Yeshua? Yeshua doesn't count because he's the divine Messiah. That's not fair. Right? If Captain America was an MMA fighter, that wouldn't be fair. Right? Right. right. You better say right. <laughs> so anyway, it says in the opening to the Kohelet art scroll, it quotes from Shabbos 30b in the Talmud. What profit does man have for all his labor which he toils beneath the sun? This is from Kohelet 1.3. And the Academy of Rabbi Yanai said... Only in striving for benefit in what is under the sun is there no gain, but in striving for Torah, which preceded the sun, there is benefit. In other words, when we, my friends, get focused on striving to create something for our life from the material world, we all have to work. If you don't work, you don't eat. It's good to try to do something great. It's good to try to build an enterprise to to create uh, a company or something to that effect. 
But what Kohelet is trying to say to us is that when we try to labor for that which is under the sun, that means that which is in the natural realm, when that becomes our focus, that's when we have futility of futilities. That we have to strive to build that which is above the sun, the stars, and the moon, and that's the Holy Torah. Why? Because it preceded the sun. That's what Kohelet is saying. That's what the sages of the Talmud are saying, is that the Torah existed before there was such thing as a universe. So we have to dedicate our lives to the universe. This is why, again, we have to work and we have to strive. That's the result, actually, of our curse. But we should never forget that what we should ultimately be striving for in our striving is to know God and to draw close to his holy Torah. And there's no substitute, my friends, for Torah. I said earlier that the law of God is the word of God. It's the scripture of God. It's the wisdom of God, the will of God. And therefore, I want to be under the law because it's all those things. I could say so much more about what the law of God is comparative to what the scripture is because they're synonymous. It says, when Solomon became king of Israel, God came to him in a dream and said, ask what I shall give you. Now let's read this from, from um, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Actually, we're going to read from verse 3. Now Solomon loved Hashem. He loved Adonai. Let's begin there. Let's begin with love. He loved God. Didn't Yeshua say this is the foundation of everything? You have to love God. And therefore, therefore if you love God, you'll want what God wants. Now, by the way, I should tell you that according to ancient writings, all of what I'm, we're about to read here happened when Solomon was 12 years old. Now that's significant because when Yeshua was confounding the, the sages in the tabernacle, he was also 12 years old. Not, or the base, I mean that, I should say. He was also 12 years old. And they recognized in him great wisdom and they marveled at it. Perhaps wisdom they'd never heard of before and since the days of Solomon. Why? Because he is the wisdom with which Solomon was graced. Wisdom is synonymous with Torah, by the way. If you want to be wise, get Torah. Amen. You know how I know that? Because Hashem said that when you keep Torah, all the nations will look to you and say, has there ever been a nation so wise as this nation? God says that wisdom is a byproduct of Torah because wisdom is Torah. So Solomon loved Adonai, walked in the statues of his father David, except he kept sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. So the king went to Gibeon. Uh, so, the, so, sorry, so the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Upon this very altar, Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. At Gibeon, Adonai appeared to Solomon and dreamed by night, and God asked, "Ask for what should I give you?" Solomon said, "You have shown my father servant." your servant David, great loving kindness as he walked before you in truth, righteousness, and uprightness of heart towards you. 
Indeed, you have kept this great loving kindness for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. So now, Adonai, my God, you have made your servant king in my father David's place. I am but a youth. I don't know how to go out or come in. Your servant is amid your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a mind of understanding to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now it was pleasing in the eyes of Adonai that Solomon request this thing. So God said to him, because you asked for this thing and because you've asked for this thing and have not asked yourself for long life, you haven't asked for riches, you haven't asked for the, for the life of, the in, of your enemies, but asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and discerning mind so that there has been none like you before you nor shall anyone like you arise after you. Familiar? Familiar story that Solomon didn't want money, didn't want power, didn't want fame. He wanted God. He wanted God's wisdom. And he wanted it for the express purpose of being able to be a good leader and to be able to lead the people towards God. He wasn't looking for anything else other than that. And God said, because you want that, because you seek my face because you seek who I am and not what you can get from me. Everything else is going to be given to you. You know, people very often will contact me and they'll say, I want to know if the conversions that Lapid Judaism offers are recognized in order to go to Israel. And my reply is, you're not a candidate for conversion. Because you're looking for the benefit from the action, not the action itself. You don't want heaven, you want what heaven has to offer. My friends, we have to get to a place where we're going to follow Torah for Torah's sake. They were going to be who we are. Many people, we, 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 Messiah, again, what Yehoshua, when I was teasing him earlier about doing a drive-by, what he was reading in the, in the, in the gospel, in the Besorah, Yeshua said, your, your love is going to grow cold. Many people are going to face adversity and face persecution. They're going to be told, you're a fake Jew. And they're going to say, I'm, I'm a fake Jew? Yeah. What, what, what must I do to become a real Jew? And they're serious. And somebody said in a comment not too long ago, somebody I don't know, they were replying to me as if I don't, they don't know me, right? And they said to me, you know what? I used to be like you. Well, since you don't know me, you can't possibly say that because you have no idea who I am. He's, but anyway, he said, I used to be like you that I believed in the Messiah in, in Yeshua too, but I decided to convert just to straight Judaism. And, and I thought, well, that's, that's, a, that's sad. You're definitely not like me. <laughs> a team of wild horses couldn't take me away from the Messiah. Because all of this, my friends, <laughs> is because of him. 
I wouldn't know any of this if it wasn't for him. So how can I leave the guy that brought me to the dance? So anyway, the person made a fundamental comment in that reply to me. He wasn't replying to me, but it was, he felt, I guess, taking upon himself to help comfort me, I suppose. He said, if you want to be accepted by them, the only way to do that is to go through a, le quote, legitimate conversion. And I said, see, that's just it. I'm not in this for acceptance. How do I become a real Jew? Tell me. Because I want to be accepted by you. And here's the trick of the enemy. Well, the way that you become a real Jew is you deny Yeshua. And so you say, Roger that. And they say, get away from me, Goy. Well, well, wait, wait, wait. I, I want to convert now. I want to convert now. Let me in. I want to convert now. We don't take converts. And you turn around and go back and say, what, what, what do I do now? I've already denied him. And the devil says, thank you. You think I'm lying? If I'm lying, I'm dying. I've seen it happen over and over again. That's the futility of futilities. And it goes back to what King Solomon is saying here is you have to be after that which really matters. And that's by the heart of God and the face of God, not for the stuff. I'm not in it for the stuff. I'm not in it for the club. I'm not in it for anything else than, than Hashem. My path of life here, there's no reason. This doesn't make any sense what I'm doing here. It doesn't make any sense. Nothing about me it makes any sense about what I'm doing here, except for God. Because my attitude was, and this is just to encourage you, I want what God wants. And I just threw it, I threw everything. I said, listen, I want everything. And I've seen, and many other people, Tom just said, amen. Tom, you're one of those guys like me. There's many of you here that are like that. That said, I just want what God wants. And you said, if, if that means I, all my theological things, see, a lot of people wrap their, they've got degrees based on their theology. I, my friend, I've got a PhD in this. And if I now step over here to Torah, Judaism, and Messiah, I've got to admit that all those years, to a large extent, were kind of wasted. I understand. I've been to Bible college. I've been a preacher in a church. Yep, not afraid to admit it. And by the way, my given name is Mark, and I'm not offended by that. Mordecai is Mark in Hebrew. I'm not offended by that. Aaron happens to be my middle name, which Mark Aaron means warrior priest, so get you some. <laughs> my initials, therefore, are M-A-G... Make a no. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
Some people call me Mark out there like it's offensive. My mama and my daddy named me Mark. I mean, what's, that's by God's hand. So anyway, I'm not offended. People, where was I? Go hell it. Solomon's request revealed a, a, a profound truth here. He was not, he wasn't in it, he wasn't, he wasn't doing it because he wanted the silver and gold. There's actually a statement here from the Midrash that, that gives the analogy of, of someone who wanted all the things that the king had to offer. And he realized that if he asked for any one of those things, he would just have one of those things, maybe at best. The best way to acquire all of that was to ask for the hand of the king's daughter. Because if he married the daughter, he would be in the king's family. And therefore, whatever the king had would be ultimately his. And the, the rabbis are careful to point out not to misuse that analogy. It wasn't that King Solomon was trying to get the stuff. He just realized that he wanted to be in the family. And so the king's daughter was the Torah. You know, like the bride of... Right? So we want to marry ourselves to the Messiah. This is why the Messiah says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. I don't, you're not just workers in the vineyard. Don't you understand, my friends? This is what my father has said many times in his talking about uh, economy and that kind of stuff to me as a teenager growing up. He said, it's not that you're the worker in the company, you, but you own the company. See, it's much different. We, we, we work much different. If we own the business, can Zach and Yosef say amen? <laughs> when you own your own company, you may not take a lunch break all week. When you own the company, you, don't, you, you might be there from, from, from dawn till well into the night. But when you don't own the company, and you're an employee of the company, maybe you're a good employee, but when it comes time to clock out, you clock out. And when it's time, break time, you might, it's, it's break time. Because you don't own the company. You're a faithful employee, and you're giving an honest day's work for an honest day's wage, but you don't own it. And so God is saying, listen, you have to understand something. You own this. And that's why you can't quit. You can't quit the company you own. You own it. Therefore, you can't quit. This is the wisdom of Kohelet. There's so much that could be said. I want to share uh, just another thought here in the time we have remaining about vision. Since this is the Shabbat of vision, and there's so much that could be said about that, that first chapter of Isaiah has always been a, a chapter of my entire religious life that has moved me. This is a story that's talking about the vision of Hagar. That when her son, she was, her and her son were kicked out of Abraham's house. He got, apparently he got ill, feverish perhaps, and she, she wanted to just walk away so that she didn't have to watch him die. 
In Genesis 21, 19, it says, And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. It's pointing out here that the verse does not say that there wasn't a well of water, that God made a well of water to appear, but rather it says that he opened her eyes to the fact that the well of water was there. It had been there the whole time. In fact, this well of which we're speaking is Mashiach, in fact. This is the very well that followed us around the wilderness. So it says, note the verse closely. It does not say a well was miraculously created. It says that Hagar's eyes were opened, but her eyes weren't closed. It wasn't like she was blind. So it's not talking about a physical opening. She was alone in the, in the midst of desolation, desperately searching for water to save her son. She was looking everywhere for that place of water. She couldn't see it in the natural. Her eyes had to be open in the spiritual. It says it was there, but she couldn't see it, not with her flesh and blood eyes. This is why, my friends, that arguing with people and trying to beat them into submission to believe what we believe is futile, it's futilities of futility. Because unless they have spiritual eyes to see, they will never see it. That's why when I'm talking to somebody, I might give them a couple of things, but when I realize that they can't see the well of living water, I just say, I wish you all the best and move on. You're not the holy spark I'm looking for. I don't tell them that, but... You know, I mean, that's, I'm not being mean either. I'm just saying that's the truth. Not right now anyway, maybe in the future. So it says, when God opened her eyes, she saw more than a well. She saw the source of all wells. See, water is just an illusion, my friends. Oh, it's real. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's actually, you know, we should drink water. It's good. But what I'm saying is that water in the natural is only a spiritual representation of the Torah itself. See, the Torah is the source of the water, which is why Yeshua said, I am the source of the water. If you come to me, then out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. Yeshua was calling himself the Torah, and everybody knew it. He was calling himself the well, not a well. He wasn't a Messiah. He was the Messiah. She saw behind the veils of nature. Indeed, she saw that nature itself is a veil concealing the omnipotence, even the existence of God. Anything can happen. The same God who commands oil to burn can command vinegar to burn. And the same God who made the desert can transform it into a garden of Eden. I'm going to leave you with one, one story from the Talmud. talking about the vinegar to burn. What are we talking about here? This comes from the, the Tanit, or Tanit 25a in the Talmud. One Friday evening at twilight, the daughter of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Now, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was one of those guys in history who was extremely poor, extremely impoverished. For whatever reason, God chose him to be a rabbi that would not have two nickels to rub together 
so that he could manifest grace and mercy through him. I wish I had time to get into another story about him from this, the Midrash Rabbah uh, Kohelet, but I just I don't have the time. Maybe I'll do it next week. But anyway, it sa- so it says that his daughter, he saw that his daughter was sad. And he said to her, my daughter, why are you sad? She replied to him, I mistook a container of vinegar for a container of oil, and I poured the vinegar into the lamp and lit the Sabbath light with it. Now she's sad because she's done something wrong with vinegar, and now the Sabbath lights, they can't, you know, she didn't realize it until it's too late. But also they're extremely poor, and so she's just wasted vinegar. They don't have, they don't have, I mean, this is poor. They're, they're poor, 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 poor. And so he said to her, my daughter, what does it matter to you? The one who commanded oil to burn, he can also command vinegar to burn. And Atana taught, the lamp continued to burn the entire day of the Sabbath all, up until Havdalah. My friends, what I was saying this morning is about God. It's all him. And we put together our best effort, and very very often our best effort is vinegar because that's all we've got. And God says, all I want is your best effort. Are you seeking me like Kohelet? Because if you've put together your best effort, then I'll cause even your vinegar to burn because it's all me anyway. Baruch haba, Bashem Adonai, 